March 29th, 2023. We're continuing in Moreh Nebuchim. Uh, we have been in the last several weeks talking about a particular specific passage in the Moreh. It's here in source number one. It's in Chelegimal and Perek Mem Aleph. Let's briefly read it and then quickly, really quickly, uh, recount uh, the type of direction, perspective we've lent to this. Uh, Harambam wrote, and again, I say famously because this is a passage which is well known as being controversial and shrouded with mystery as he makes it himself. A person who uh, took away um, from another person one of their limbs, their punishment or the retribution is that they in turn should lose a, a limb or the identical limb. He says, you shouldn't be burdened in your mind by the fact that we here and now and over the course of time, I add, have been punishing based on a financial value of what you've made lost as the Gemaraz we read and discussed at the beginning of the eighth chapter of Masech Bava Kama makes clear. Don't get thrown off by that. Because my intent right now is I'm looking to give reason and rationale for the Pesukim, the Ketubim in the Torah. But not to give reason and rationale per se to the normative law. Even though in terms of normative practice and law, I have a thought on this, which I'll tell you instead of writing it, I'll mention it to you from mouth to your ear. Now that's the words of Harambam. Again, they're controversial words because the Gemara and Harambam himself in his Akdamat Perusha Mishnayot, in his words in Mishne Torah, make clear that there is no, aside from Rabili Ezer, whom the Gemara, so to speak, corrects, uh, there's no opinion who maintains that Ayin Tahat Ayin is Mamash, that this concept of what they call Lex Talionis is a true concept when it comes to Torah, that uh, if you uh, damage another, that's what should be given to you in turn. It's rather always been seemingly, the way Harambam defines it elsewhere, the way the Gemara seems clear and intent on having us understand, it's always been the perspective and the meaning of the Torah, Ayin Tahat Ayin, is a reference to paying the value of the eye. So we've had long conversations over the course of two weeks with regards to the intent of Harambam. Ultimately speaking, over the course of the last class, we set forth this direction, which in truth, most recently, as I mentioned, Rabbi Amnon Bazak sets forth. It's in a book by Rav Shagar as well, a, a similar, almost identical approach to this matter. And that is uh, to suggest that what Harambam may be in his veiled reference over here is uh, telling us or hinting to us is that although at the inception, at the time that the Torah was given to Am Yisrael, there was based on the morals, ethics of that time period and understanding that you were to give ayin tahat ayin mamash, so to speak, if you turn to Moshe in this circumstance and said, what happens if this, or if Moshe was judging your case when that happened, he would tell you ayin tahat ayin mamash. Over the course of time with uh, the evolution of humanity and the thoughts and morals and ethics of human beings, um, the interpretation of the Torah, which was and is given over to Hachme Koldor Vedor, in turn interpreted those words differently. Does that mean that we're, so to speak, negating the words of, da- of God? Has v'shalom. Does it alternatively mean that the potential inherent in those words in the Torah to interpret, to make derashot, to understand, 
understand them in another fashion, another way, as you'll find at the beginning of the eighth chapter of Masechet Bavakama. Several derashot, which are using the traditional methodology, can and will support such a notion that it's mamon, that you pay money. That's the direction, which means to say that um, Harambam is perhaps suggesting over here not that the Torah adjusts itself nor that we adjust it to every generation, but that the interpretation of the Torah is open to that potential and that's God's word, to make it more religious as Rav Cook did, which is coursing through the words of the Torah purposed for every generation to interpret it uh, again, within the structure, within the methodology that we have as tradition, um, in an appropriate way for its generation. That's what we suggested. We read the words of Rav Cook here in source number two in his Igerot Ara'aya and Chilek Aleph and Igerot Sadiq. And uh, if, if you recall, for example, he had several restrictions to this concept. He uh, made very clear this has to be determined by Sanhedrin at a time when we're settled in the land of Israel. Uh, but in truth, he was, uh, he was a little bit annoyed about the uh, questioner who was suggesting those words. Again, and we can very clearly understand, uh, specifically in today's day and age, but certainly taking into, con- taking into mind the last hundred years or so of uh, Judaism, there was a particular, is a particular fear of talking in such fashion. It lends uh, strength and support to a reform and conservative type of movement. And so he says, this is not hitpatehut. This is not some sort of development, evolution of law. It's rather, this is the Kedushat Yisrael, Kedushat Torah. It's not, he writes at the end of the second paragraph, kan hitpatehut shel greuta. This is not some sort of diminishment which is developing. He says, instead, this is, again, these are the words of God which are open to, uh, so to speak, an infinite expressions of human beings and their understanding of it, as we discussed and developed. Rav Cook writes about this in several other places. One of the more notable circumstances where he describes, again, this call it dichotomy, but at the same time interplay between Torah Shubichtav and Torah Shubalpeh, again, in several other circumstances, but is at the beginning of his book, Orot HaTorah, beginning of the book Orot HaTorah, which has most recently been translated into English with a wonderful commentary by Rabbi David O. Weinberger. He's a rabbi in Yeshivat Oraita in Israel. Wonderful uh, uh, translation and commentary on it, but here, without the commentary, without the translation, in source number three, at the very beginning, of Rav Kook's Orota Torah, he writes, Torah shebichtav anu mekabelim al yedeh hasinor hayoter elyon veyoter makif shebenishmatenu. Now, Rav Kook was very mystically inclined. His wording, his verbiage is very Kabbalistically dense. As a result, you'll see the words throughout here and even the letter in source number two, very influenced by such thought. But the words effectively are that the Torah Shebikhtav, which we've ex- accepted and have, is through this pipeline which is the most elevated with regards to our souls. Anu margishim mikirba et havhakat tiferet haya haklalit shel kol hayekum. We feel within it we experience uh, some sort of uh, global and universal light. 
we're exposed within it to um, dimensions that are transcendental, which means they're above and beyond our intellectual capacity. As we read the words of Torah Shbikhtav, we feel that spirit of God hovering above us. There's that touching while not touching type of uh, paradox. It's hovering and passing above us while giving us that glimpse of its light. That spirit of God, not our spirit. It's to a certain extent the expression of uh, the uh, force and uh, an essence of existence. But Torah Shba'al Peh says Rav Kook, so that's the Torah Shbikhtav, transcendental, ideal, out of this world. What's Torah Shba'al Anu yordim kfar hayim. You're now living in life. You're now experiencing reality. Anu hashim shihinenu mekabelim et ha'orah ha'elyona b'sunor ha'sheni shebaneshema. We get it from the lower level pipeline, so to speak, uh, from that uh, supernal and, and uh, elevated uh, uh, light. B'tsinor ha'mitkarevet l'chayeh ha'ma'aseh. It expresses itself and attaches itself in a relevant way to our activities, to our life in this world. Anu hashim, we feel shirua ha'uma that the spirit of the nation of Am Yisrael HaKeshura, Keshalhevet Begahalet, Begahalet Beor Torat Emet, he garma beofya miyuhad shedra Torash Baalpeh, notzera betsuratah miyuhadet, it's the spirit of the nation which crafted and formed what we call Torah Shba'alpeh. Vada'i kelulahi Torah ta'adam hazot betorat Hashem. Those are very important words. It says Torah Shba'alpeh is certainly nestled within, in some way or fashion, Torah Hashem. Torah Hashem, he gam he. They are, as we envision ideal, as we experience real, uh, they are uh, related one to the other. He concludes with those words from Talmud Yerushalmi that even that which the uh, ancient student in future was already expressed and revealed to Moshe at Sinai a description again of a potential that's latent, that's inherent within a Torah Shibichtav. Torah Shibichtav, which is elevated, transcendental, has within it almost an infinite expressions that can and will be revealed by us over the course of time, by our nation, based on its context, based on its contours, based on its situation. It's these two lights, the light of Torah Shbikhtav, the light of Torah Shbalpeh. They craft an entire and complete world. The upper world of Torah Shbikhtav and the lower of that of Torah Shbalpeh. They kiss within our understanding of Torah Shbalpen, Torah Shbikhtav, a very as he is want to do, poetic way of expressing this point though, in different words, in a different direction, but the same perspective. Torah Shbalpen for Rav Kook is very much um, tapping into truths of Torah Shbikhtav, even though in its raw sense, Torah Shbikhtav 
can and would be maybe interpreted differently than we interpret. Does that mean that we're negating the word of God? No, certainly not. It was given by God and interpreted with that force, so to speak, of God as we make it and realize its relevancy in every generation. These words, much as this other words, uh, very clearly uh, impart a certain danger. There's, there's a certain inherent danger in expressing these words and talking about them in this fashion because it very much gives strength to anyone or everyone who will want to determine, based on the context of their generation, that this is no longer relevant and let's interpret it differently. But Rav Cook, in a very audacious way, makes this claim, albeit with restrictions, assuming and telling us he can't really do this any longer. Conceptually, though, it's quite novel, or at the very least, it's quite courageous. Those are the words of Rav Cook over here, again, as he writes elsewhere. So really what I'd like to do tonight is to return to Harambam's thought on this and to try to tease out whether the suggestion in the words of Harambam with regards to Ayn Tahat Ayn, that again, he's accepting, albeit in a mystical, uh, so to speak, hidden way, uh, this sort of notion that it did develop over time. And there is uh, another expression to Torah Bikhtav, um, which was and is done by Hachmeh Koldor Vedor. Um, first and foremost, before we attack the words of Harambam in a positive way, I want to just point out that Kuzari, Rabbi Udah Levi, in source number four, the great medieval Spanish philosopher, Rabbi Udah Levi, in his book Kuzari, uh, has a similar notion with regards to understanding what he uh, seems to refer to as a continuous um, revelation of sorts. Uh, there is, assuming you can tap into it, a certain possibility for every generation to tap into nivuah, to a prophetic experience wherein the interpretation of Torah will, can and will be determined by He says it very clearly here in source number four. Kuzari, of course, is written as a dialogue between a, uh, well, a haver, a scholar of sorts, who's speaking to a king of Kuzar, and the background, not so significant for us now, but just to interpret those first words. Amar ha-haver here in Ma'amar Gimal Perik Lametet. Toratenu keshura ba-halacha l'moshe misinai, o min ha-makom ha-shev har-hashem. So that our Torah is either attached to what we call halacha l'moshe misinai, it's directly received from Moshe, and that's how we're doing it and interpreting it, or alternatively, from the place which God chose. Of course, those are the words he'll cite in just a moment with regards to turning to the Sanhedrin and letting them interpret and decide the law. We're obligated to listen to the appointed official uh, for determining law in every generation, an expression in the Torah which tells us that you are commanded to follow the interpretation of the appointed officials, the chosen officials of every generation, and then the Torah goes so far as to tell us, 
Now, there's a death penalty per, for a person who defies the words of the Sanhedrin. Of course, Adam Bam talked about this briefly in a reading that we had recently as well. It's called Zakin Mamre. Hishva et shofet averot. If going against Sanhedrin's, inter- in Sanhedrin's interpretation of the Torah is liable to death penalty. Not only death penalty, uh, exa- uh, decimate, do away with the evil that's in your midst. And in turn, the Torah says, Everyone should see and not no longer act in such a fashion. Kuzari as well draws a certain restriction. He says that this was and could be true during times of prophecy during times that the order of avodah, of worship, is in place. And as a result, when you have it in place, we cannot and would not imagine that matters were being determined without, you know, a Lashem Shamayim perspective. Sanhedrin, the Shofet, is determining based on the Ruach Hashem Asher Bekirbam. Uh, famously, uh, Kuzari over here says, you should know this is the basis, the foundation for mitzvot midrabanan. Uh, what's he referring to? Hanukkah, mitzvah, Megillah, Purim. Their basis, their foundation is that they almost touch on a divine notion. It's that they were established and determined without interpreting Pesukim in the Torah, but nonetheless, as he points out, using the words, were commanded by God to fulfill them, because there's a power vested within those hachamim to determine what's appropriate with the power and authority of Torah. Again, does he mean that we therefore lost any distinction? Not per se, but he is very much elevating the status of mitzvot midrabbanan, so much so that there is a, a, a well-known mahloket as well in this sort of context. It just reminds me uh, as, uh, in this, at this time, uh, there's, uh, when the Gemara has what's called asmachta, the rabbis will have a law, and they'll point to a pasuk and say that that's, maybe, you know, that's what the pasuk means. Now when they're pointing to that pasuk, they'll admit, and very often the Gemara will say, kira asmachta be'alma. It's not a mitzvah which has the biblical strength behind it, it's midrabbanan, it's rabbinic in nature, but they point to that pasuk. Harambam in one or two places suggests that an asmachta is that the rabbis wanted a way for you and me to remember the law. What better way for you and me to remember it than by quoting a pasuk? We all know Torah Shemichtav by heart. So they'll quote a pasuk for us and say, oh, now I remember the rabbinic uh, enactment. That's for Harambam. Ritva in Masechet Roshanan Davtetzayin or Davtetzayin disagrees. He says, terrible notion. He quotes or he sets forth and it's really the notion of Kuzari as well that what asmachta is is that the pasuk in the Torah was left open to interpretation. And as a result, so to speak, God put his stamp on it and said, interpret this. I purposefully wrote this somewhat cryptically or with an open opportunity to interpret this. Does that mean there's no distinction any longer between the Rabbanan and the Oraita? Well, there's a whole lot less. 
Again, these words of Kuzari, maybe taking it further than we were accustomed, we were already discussing, but they're very much in line with this Rav Kook type of notion that the hachamim, the scholars, the leadership of every generation, if being done with the proper intention, if being done within the proper structure, can and will tap into divine law. It's not just their law. The vision is, the understanding is, this is divine law. And in turn, that was, if you recall again, the suggestion with regards to Harambam's words on Ayin Tahat Ayin, divine law, ironically, halacha, can and will be an expression of God's will, it's divine law, even if historically this was not, at the time of its giving, the expression and the interpretation and the implementation of those very same words. So again, what I'd like to do now then is to test I can't tell you that we'll sufficiently prove anything, but to test the words of Harambam in several places in the More to try to understand whether he's open to this possibility or he's more restrictive. And even if he is more restrictive, it doesn't per se preclude the, op- the, the possibility that that is, you know, his kind of veiled intention. He just does a really good job, at least in my mind, of taking us away from thinking like that. And I'd like to uh, give you a, a little bit of a direction over here with regards, regards to some of these more famous passages in the More where Harambam addresses matters of this sort. So I'll begin here in It's on the first page in this packet, on page 528. Now in this chapter, at least in the portion we're going to read, Harambam had beforehand, in several places in this chapter, he's quoting all of these pagan books, these law books and philosophical books of idolaters. He says these are very important books not for practice, not for philosophical, but for understanding the Torah. Because he, and this was a novelty, this was earth-shattering, according to my understanding, that Harambam was able to, both with the scholarship, as well as with the authority, suggest that the Torah is to be written within a historical framework. That the mitzvot of the Torah were purposed at their time of given to combat and to deal with uh, the, uh, the, way, the winds of the time, uh, the thoughts of the neighboring nations. We oftentimes take those sorts of thoughts sometimes for granted. We say things like uh, korbanot. This was novel. And Harambam was, uh, was, was vehemently protested over the course of much time with regards to this. But already taking a step back and appreciating that, that does send us, it begins us in the direction that we've been discussing. To a certain extent, this could have been and should have been our introduction. If the whole purpose of Torah is historically to address the necessities of every generation or of that generation, it stands to reason that God's book will be and should be determined by every generation. After all, that was the point. It's not, to put it in different words, you could have, and someone like Ramban Nahmani will tell you this, there's essence existentially to every mitzvah. That's relevant at all times. It's nothing to do with Am Yisrael. That has nothing to do with us. It is. It's the words, it's the words of God. It is. Alternatively, Aram Bab says, no, 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 let me explain to you. This is because that's what the idolaters were doing. This is because uh, the pagan practice and rites and beliefs were as such. Well, according to Harambam's nature of, and vision of this matter, it therefore does stand closer to reason that there should be this development of thought again. 
within the divine system. And just quickly reading this with you and then bringing it a step further to see how he does develop this. At the top of the page, and just a few words on it, he says, Look in these several books, you'll find many of the ways of the Sabi of this uh, pagan group. This is all very important to see how they sacrificed, how they prayed, how they celebrated. These and the other books that I mentioned to you, these are the books that were translated into Arabic. So I had my hands on them. I was able to read them and understand them. This is clear. The books that I have are a very small portion compared to all those ancient pagan sects and books that were never uh, translated. Truth is, there's also many which were probably uh, destroyed over the course of time. We don't have them. But those which we have, we have these books which will determine a certain, at the time of the giving of Torah, contemporary group uh, which were uh, worshipping Avodah Zarah. Uh, he describes many of the rituals and practices and rites and the temples and so forth of idolaters. They have, he describes this, uh, these temples which are particular and specific and in turn, says Harambam, uh, read the Pesukim in Torah, Mitzvim Tzurot al Heharim Haramim. They have images on the tops of mountains. By knowing those thoughts and those actions, that is a large and vast opening to understanding mitzvot Torah. Again, not so in today's day and age, heretical, not so, oh my goodness, can't believe he said that, at the time, out of this world. The sword, the root of the Torah, and the hinge on which it revolves, was to do away with, from the hearts and minds of the people, such thoughts, such practices. And so on and so forth. He quotes Pesukim in the Torah to this, to this regard, in this direction. Again, that is the beginning of Harambam. If that's the beginning of Harambam, we have potential, no pun intended with regards to our conversation, we have potential for him to make his way and maybe even hint to us this approach that we've had. If the whole point of the Torah was originally historical, historically sensitive, well, if this is a book which is given to us for eternity, for future generations, it has to be perforce that as the world develops, the Torah will be interpreted differently. 
That, yeah, it's, it's hard to negate, at least at this moment, such a thought. Okay, uh, on those lines, I want you to, and I'm sorry, my, my, my copying was not uh, done perfectly in terms of the way I put this together. I want to turn to the last page, but the second to last, so it's the fifth of the sheets, if you, are, if you will. Uh, so it's page 617. Uh, page 617 is from one of the several, but the most famous, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, uh, situations where Harambam points in the Torah to a development, at least in the understanding of the rabbis, something that changed while we're reading the Torah. It's based on a Gemara in Masechet Chulin, Dav Tetzayin, Dav Yodzayin, which suge- suggests that Besar Ta'ava, flesh which was eaten for our own pleasure and desire. In other words, not sacrificially, but a steak dinner was only permitted when we were in the desert if it was accompanied or it was brought by means of a sacrifice. You couldn't just uh, slaughter and eat a, 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 a steak sandwich. It needed to be sacrificial. You slaughtered and then you ate from uh, that meat. But upon entrance into the land of Israel, the understanding of two pesukim in the Torah, another pesuk in the Torah, it was now permitted entirely. This is an interesting development in the Torah, which the rabbis in a traditional Masechet Hulin text have. Says Harambam, let me tell you about that. At the bottom here of page 617, again, we call it Besar Ta'ava, the last paragraph. Da, you should know, You should know that Besar Ta'ava. And this is not as novelty. This is rabbinic. This is traditional. It's only in the desert that we weren't allowed to eat Besar Ta'ava meat and flesh for our own pleasure and desire. I'll tell you why, says Harambam. Once upon a time, there were these silly thoughts and notions that there were demons out in the desert. If you go out into the desert place, you'll find them. And of course, you needed blood as part of the ritual, and in turn, you needed slaughtering. However, when you're in, in cities and in uh, civilized areas, um, uh, there are these demons don't appear. Oh, so you, you understand already where he's going with this. He says that Besar Ta'ava was dangerous in the desert. We're going to permit for you to slaughter and eat meat? Well, you're going to be involved with all sorts of pagan and idolatrous potential uh, rituals. You're going to slaughter and look at the blood and have some sort of situation? Oh, we're not doing it that way. The only way you can consume meat is if you do it next to the mikdash, if you slaughter as part of a sacrifice. But now you're in the land of Israel. Land of Israel, we don't really have that threat any longer. Unless you leave the city and you go out into the desert area, it's a little bit more difficult for you to do so. Fascinatingly, not surprisingly, Harambam says if the Torah, he didn't spell it out for us like this, but I'm spelling it out, if the Torah was historically sensitive with regards to its mitzvot and its notions and its meanings, well, if something was less relevant or not relevant at a later time in the Torah, it was kind of abandoned. God told you to abandon it. God. 
He gives you several other reasons. And furthermore, that idolatrous way is no longer as relevant. We don't, we're not threatened by it any longer. We weren't already upon entrance into the land of Israel. And third of those uh, three reasons, the last one, he says, is because when you're in the land of Israel, the Mishkan is no longer as close to you. You're going to have to go into Jerusalem. It's going to be a lot more difficult. God says, okay, now you can slaughter and eat at home. Uh, again, this is only furthering our potential with regards to the word of Harambam. Harambam says, much in line, at least thus far, with what we were expecting or what we were suggesting, Torah is, in terms of its purpose, to find, not existentially, but sensitively, a relevancy to every generation. Therefore, God developed it even at the time of its giving. I, I like very much this notion within the Torah. It's sometimes difficult to uh, kind of figure out. I have a few ideas with regards to this in the words of Harambam and elsewhere, where you do see internally in the Torah development, but here's one of the explicit ones, not my uh, machinations. There's one where he says it. Okay, but he didn't tell us anything about the rabbis, didn't tell us anything about Sanhedrin's ability. Told us God in his Torah developed this for us. Okay, with that, I bring you to uh, backwards, uh, page 541. And I hope you're following uh, the direction over here. Page 541 is Perik la Perik la is one of the more famous chapters. It's a short one in the Mora. It's more controversial for many reasons. Um, and um, over here, well, we're going to read it in just a moment, but he'll bring us a bit forward with regards to this general principle of ta'ameh ha-mitzvot being relevant to the generation. He says, and let's read the first paragraph, well, let's read them all. Hayavatal adat, it's necessary for you to know, gamken she'en ha-Torah or sho'ah el ha-harik. The Torah doesn't listen to the out of the norm, uh, to the rare circumstances. It doesn't pay much attention to that. And in turn, the commands, the mitzvot ha-Torah, don't speak so much to the minority circumstances. But rather with regards to thoughts and characteristics or actions which you're supposed to achieve, the Torah is purposed and focused on the majority, the masses. And as a result, if there's a specific outlying situation, Torah doesn't really address it. Because the Torah is a divine command Okay, now just for our purposes tonight, although we should return to this paragraph in the middle, let's go to the bottom paragraph. Uh, consistent with this vision, with this thought, gam efshar, it is not possible that the mitzvot will address themselves lishoni matzavehen shel bnei adam pratihim ulishoni hazmanim bedomel letipul harefi. It's not possible that the Torah will. Uh, perforce address itself and be relevant to the changing of 
circumstances of human beings who are individual and the changings of times. And further, and he says it's similar in that respect to well, the way we treat people medicinally. A doctor cannot and will not prescribe two things for two different, uh, one thing for two different situations. It needs to be particular and specific. Says Harambam, in turn, you have to understand, accept, and realize that the Torah cannot and will not be one size fits all generations. That's a shocking statement. Again, taken, taken on its own without uh, bringing into account many of his other words, it really is, is, is very restrictive. His words then are, the Torah won't always be relevant. And all I'm telling you about Avodah taken to its extreme, no longer really relevant, but you got to do it anyway because of that far-off case in today's day and age, which was once what it was all about. Well, that's already uh, a little bit, um, a little bit uh, making things a little bit rickety with regards to advancing the notion that we had in the past, although... Although it doesn't leave open, it doesn't close the notion or the opportunity, the possibility that his words in this context maybe need to be interpreted as, so to speak, the Torah Shibichtav and the Torah Shibaalpeh will do that. But those are certainly his words over there. I bring you with this to two last uh, um, segments in Harambam, uh, or uh, one specific one, and it's one that we already addressed. It is here on the next page. It's from Perek Mem Aleph in Chelek Let me, again, briefly bring you up to date with, with regards to the direction in Harambam's Moreh uh, that we're suggesting. It goes like this. Harambam has um, made clear for us something that we've read and seen him do in several weeks. We read about Akedat Yitzhak and Haramuriyah and many of those are how they were addressing the challenges and the realities of the time and the mitzvot and the mikdash and many of those sorts of matters. So he made that point for us. The Torah was historically sensitive. He furthermore told us, as we trace this forward, he furthermore told us that as a result, um, the Torah adjusted itself. God adjusted himself with regards to these laws over the course of time. But then, somewhat surprisingly, kind of drew a line. And said, yeah, maybe, maybe he did adjust himself, but he won't adjust himself always. It's just not that way. And as a result, there'll be times and ages and stages in, in history where not everything will feel or will be relevant. It's just not the way it works. He can't prescribe medicine not he can't. He didn't prescribe medicine which was applicable to all of his patients or to all of the patients. I bring you with that to the words of Harambam which we already read. Yes, Rick? Is it that he didn't prescribe all of his before that there are certain aspects of what, like not everything that's written is applicable to every situation and that's okay, no? He didn't really say it that way. He said, not everything which is written will be relevant to every time. Fine, but in every time there will be things that are relevant that can be applied. No question. I understand. But if the Torah was, and this, there's no forcing, you know, the, you don't perforce need to say anything. However, 
it did, at least as an outsider, seem uh, seemed like a ripe opportunity within a world that Harambam is telling us that the Torah is sensitive to the generation. It did stand to reason, we, we believed, that he might in turn take us in a direction to say, and as a result, the Torah will, that was his opportunity there in Perek Lamedal, to say, oh, but wait a second, let me tell you something. But the rabbis of every generation, the scholars, the leadership, will determine because this is the word of God after all. Instead, he gave you an apologetic. Instead, he said, oh, God, that's not what the Torah is. That, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's so to speak, if, if this was his direction, what we've accepted, what we've suggested, it was a missed opportunity over there. You thought that's what he was going to tell you. You thought he was going to say, oh, yes, I know generations change, but interpretations will change as well. He didn't say that. And I bring you again to the words which we pointed to, and we said, well, he's being careful over here, but we need to strengthen them again and realize he might be overly careful, and he might really be careful because he's telling you, I don't accept such a notion. I can't tell you per se what his inner workings were. I can tell you what his words as we read them are in Perek Memal. If the Perek that we read from already last week and a little bit the week before as well, he wrote over there, if you recall, that the Torah, by definition, will not, what we know, will not on its own adapt to every generation. Remember that? Hitbarer efo in this third paragraph, ta'amehen shal kol ha-mitzvot shemanino b'sefer shofetim. V'ra'u shena'ir al-mitzvot bo'dedot ha-mufriyot sham behetem l'matrato shel sefer zeh. Mitoch zeh omer ani. B'ma shenogea le-zaken mamreh, let me tell you about zaken mamreh, the individual who defies the word, who rebelliously goes against the Sanhedrin, mikevan sh'akel yit'ala yodea, sh'bechol zemanu ma'kom zekukin dinea Torah hazot, since God in his infinite knowledge knows that the words of this Torah need in every generation uh, in, in being consistent with the changing of places context happenings it's quite clear not everything will be relevant we'll need to add and we'll need to take away who asar therefore says harambam he forbade Lehosifa Ligra. Well, this is the next opportunity. It should say, so to speak, as Kuzari tells us, since God knew that it won't always feel and appear relevant, therefore, fill in the blank. What we are expecting him to say is, therefore, it was open for interpretation. Instead, he says, therefore, he kept it and told you no adding on, no taking away. Okay, but can I reinterpret? Not reinterpret. Can I interpret and tap into an initial truth? He says, well, if you add or you subtract, it'll bring all sorts of confusion. So a week or two ago, we said, oh, he says it only brings to confusion. But in principle, he kind of accepts it. He understands its necessity. But he doesn't give us any inkling, any opening to a rabbinic expression of divine truth over here. He really doesn't. He says, I'll tell you what the rabbi's ability is. It's to make takanot and siagim. It's to make additives which are their own and not necessarily always binding. Uh, to, build, uh, to, to, to build gates. He doesn't say it to interpret. He doesn't say it. That's a very interesting thing. Well, how would Harambam interpret that? So Harambam's going to say, as the Gemara does, that that's with the expression of the Hachamim's ability to of lotasur min lecha. But that doesn't tap back into the mitzvot ha-Torah. That is, 
additional. In other words, Kuzari, in his interpretation, says that's identical with what they're always doing. You see, God is giving a stamp of approval to their words there, much as he gave them a stamp of approval to his words here. Adam Bob says, no, it's not so. Gives them approval to that. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I want them to do that. That's fantastic. But he doesn't go the extra step. Right? He doesn't go, and therefore, according to the ethics, morals of every society and generation, they can in turn interpret it. He didn't say those words. He carefully and purposefully didn't say those words to the extent that Kuzari himself questions in source number five, in Perik Mem, Mem Aleph, really, in, in source number five, says Kuzari, wait a second. If I'm telling you that the rabbi's ability of the Sanhedrin is to interpret, to define, to tap into, in our words, the divine truths of the Torah, the divine words, what's Lotosif and Lotigra? What's don't add and don't take away? Those those are God's words. He wants you to be doing that. Says Kuzari, fascinatingly. I'm not going to fully flesh it out, but I'm going to tell you what he says. Those words are only for the non-Sanhedrin. If you're Sanhedrin, there's no such prohibition. It's an amazing thing. Again, I'm not fully fleshing it out in terms of all of its technicalities, how it fits in with the general foundation. But what I will tell you is, whereas for Harambam, those were foundational laws. Don't add on, don't take away. That is a restriction for Sanhedrin. That's a restriction for those who do interpret. For Kuzari, well, that's not addressing those who interpret. That's addressing me and you, the yo-yos. Well, not you, me. That's the yo-yos. That's all it's talking about. You're going to listen to their interpretation, their expression, their application of the Torah, and you should know they're not really going to negate God's words. God's telling you that. Why not? Because they're a majority determining these laws, doing it with, as Kuzari will tell you, a certain aspect of nivuah, what he calls inyan ha'elohi. All I'm suggesting, all I'm pointing out over the course of this class is the following, is that as, as, as novel and as appropriate um, to suggest that Halambam's words with regards to ayin tahat ayin in his, uh, in his veiled mention of, well, I have an interpretation to this, I'll tell it to you um, when we talk. Um, is that he is opening the opportunity for us to understand and for us to realize that the Torah, because of his methodology, his perspective, his uh, foundations of the Torah being this document of God which is to be expressed to the needs of the generation. Uh, So as a result, we imagined and we suggested, based on Rav Kook and today, based on Kuzari, that maybe what he means is, therefore, the interpretation is really embedded within those words. You read those words uh, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago, it meant ayin tahat ayin mamash, and that was appropriate then. Over the course of time, with the midot Torah nidreshet, with a sensitivity to the generation and understanding of the world we live in, it's no longer what those words mean. And as a result, it's never what those words mean. In other words, instead of boxing in this uh, Torah words to history, you know, they're a timeless document, they're timeless words, which will, as a result, take on new expressions and meaning at any and every generation, provided that it's within an appropriate structure with the proper intention and so forth. Uh, that's what we suggested. The words of Harambam, as we're reading them, 
are kind of taking us away from that. They're kind of, at the very least, he's being very careful in, in not allowing us to see that at the very, at the very least, because in the several opportunities that he had to speak like that, he didn't. Number one, when he was talking, when he was telling us about how it works with regards to the Torah being relevant to every generation, he says, well, there are portions that aren't. Well, why'd you say that? What do you mean? Uh, by extension, I would say, so ain't tahadayin's not. You should have given, that was your opportunity. Open up about that. Say, since I told you, it's always, ain't tahadayin, the hachamim, interpret. He should have been able to talk like that over there, but he didn't. Uh, when Harambam has, furthermore, what's lotosif lotigra? He could have spoken like kuzari. He could have set forth for us and said to us, listen, that's for the masses, for Sanhedrin. Not really so. And Zayi says, no, I know Sanhedrin should have the capability, too confusing, so the Torah curbed that opportunity that they could have and perhaps should have had. The only thing Harambam gave us with regards to this fluidity of Torah is when it's in the Torah itself, so to speak. It's when the rabbis felt that this was God's words within the development of time, within the 40 years of, so to speak, the desert uh, until entrance into the land of Israel by Besar Tava. That was an opportunity for us to expand, to broaden the horizon with regards to interpretation of the Torah. We looked at God as the paradigm teaching us, so to speak, how to practice Torah Baal Peh, but then Torah Baal Peh got uh, slammed closed by Haram Bam. So what I, I am therefore pointing out then is that as much as there is a possibility of interpreting those words of Harambam in the way that we did in the past, and in turn saying that each of these segments are just his carefulness, his caution, his precautions from the uh, casual reader uh, from opening their mind too much in this respect, uh, that is a possibility. Alternatively, we might need to interpret those words differently. We might need to either revert back to the interpretation, although we had difficulties with it, of Harambam just kind of expressing an ideal and a real that the Torah Shpichtav speaks an ideal of certain respect, not in actually taking the limb of another, but rather, so to speak, that's what you're deservant of, whereas the real is the expression of you're going to actually do with money, or another interpretation. Uh, in other words, what, what I am at, at the very least setting forth and, and, and discussing with you tonight is how Rambam's interpretation of Torah Shabal of the capability, of the responsibility of our interpretation of Torah throughout the generations is not as straightforward or not as simple in nature as we expected perhaps it to be. I'll throw in as well that, that side point that we had with regards to asmachta. Instead of uh, that, uh, that, that broad and, and ambitious asmachta of kuzari, which we didn't read tonight, but which we referenced, that when the hachamim point to a pasuk in the Torah and say, well, that's an asmachta, well, says kuzari, you want to know what that was? That was God's ambiguous words so that you interpret them. Tapping into his words, Anamab says, no, it's a mnemonic, it's a way of remembering it. Harambam consistently seems to be uh, drawing a line, building a barrier with regards to human beings as much as it was and maybe is the direction of the mores. We've been developing it and discussing it. That's really how we got here. The mores speaking to us and saying as human beings, you're an active participant in this. The kedushah, the tahara, the tu- all that sort of business is to be interpreted and expressed and fulfilled, performed and brought into reality by you. When it came to Torah Shabal Peh, we thought that was the next stage. 
It's not as simple as uh, it then appeared to be, although it might just be one of those secrets which are embedded within the more in that one line where he says, he'll tell you about it, whereas he's really concealing it very well in every opportunity that he has to express it, he, he, he draws the line and doesn't want to easily reveal that to you because of, again, all the dangers inherent in such a notion.